Hello and welcome, National Sands, to the Dogcast, the podcast that went unclaimed on waivers. I'm your host, Blake Vinny, and just like one so time, I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to touch Ryan Zimmerman. Joining me now on the podcast uh, from TalkNets, we've got Andrew Lang on. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing fine. I guess I'd be doing better if the Nationals won today. Yeah, I. you kind of have to tip your hat to Aaron Nolu. He pitched a lights-out game, I guess. He did. He did. I mean, both teams have their chances, and for a while there, the Nationals uh, did the same to the Phillies, so uh, it was it was quite the pitcher's duel. Yeah, it went pretty much as we expected. It was nothing-nothing through six innings, and then it was just one one mistake from Scherzer. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think Max is uh, very used to that. It's, it's incredible how many times that's happened to him this year. Yeah, I was uh, I was at the uh, Wrigley Field game with the Grand Slam. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll move on from that before I start. Oh uh, yeah, it up a bit. Uh, <laughs> so first off, we're going to recap the Philly series. Obviously, got off to a great start coming from behind in the first two games, but then lost two nothing today. Uh, but did you have a player that stood out for you in this series in particular? Well. Obviously, the Zimmerman walk-off home run was what you would hope would move this team forward and give them some momentum. I really thought it would carry into today. So, to me, we're we're all waiting for that defining moment, something that says, hey, this team is going to get on that five-game, six-game, seven, you know, eight, nine, ten, and all of a sudden be back into a playoff kind of hunt. And instead, here we are uh, watching the Braves up four to nothing right now, and we could be staring down the barrel of a eight-and-a-half game deficit here. Yeah, I think – even in, in isolation, the walk-off was pretty fun. Coming back against the Phillies, no one really likes the Phillies anyway. Um, yeah, it was it. It was a bit bizarre at the end with the hitting the railing. I love the uh, Ryan Zimmerman signaling for a home run. It, he knew it. He knows the ballpark better than everyone else. Yeah, that was uh, great. I actually was sitting in section 139 in my son's seats when he hit his last walk-off and the ball clanked off of the foul pole right into the dugout. And it was great. It was off of Andrew Miller. It was against the Yankees. And I was there for his very first walk-off ever in 2006 against the Yankees and Chin Ming Wong. Um, I'm sure I was at some of his other, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously I was there 2008 for the opening of the ballpark. So um, I, I remember being there for three of the 11 and I'm sure I was at some others. I just can't remember them, but how great was that last night where you say, you know what, maybe they could do it. And like I said, reality hits today and, you know, we're staring down the barrel of, uh, eight and a half games. Wow. I still love how he's he's tied for eighth all time with walk-off home runs with David Ortiz, Tony Perez, and he's only two off the lead. And it's it's quite remarkable. If you look at that list, it's Hall of Famers everywhere. I'm not saying that Ryan it's, Zimmerman's going to the Hall of Fame, but yeah, pretty good. Well, company. just about everybody on on the list. I mean, you're right. You you go down the list, and it's like, oh, look at that, Babe Ruth. You got Jimmy Fox. You got Mickey Mantle. Uh, you got Jim Tomey, who just got enshrined. And you're, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, Albert Pujols is on the list. Obviously, he'll be a Hall of Famer one day. So the list is is pretty incredible. I mean, David Ortiz, uh, obviously, like you said, he tied him. But the people who were in front of him is what's amazing. Uh, Stan Musial forgot about him. And then I thought it was great. Frank Robinson is one ahead of him. And Frank, of course, was Zimmerman's first manager and managed him during the first walk-off. So I thought that had yeah, 
a nicer ring to it. So, uh, yeah, everybody, everybody ahead of them um, are all Hall of Famers, except for Pujols, and Pujols will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, no doubt about that. Do you think he can catch them? He's still got a bit of gas in the tank, especially the last uh, year and a half. You know, he definitely has the power. So I definitely believe he could catch him. Why not? One one more he ties Fox Mantle, Mutual, Pujols, Robinson, Ruth. Two, he ties for the lead all time with Tony. Three, he's, you know, standing all by himself. I could definitely see him. He can go for three, four years. I could see him getting a couple more maybe. Um, but for me in the series, I think one – other than Zimmerman, I had Zimmerman as my player of the series, but I thought Wilma Defoe really impressed me, uh, especially early on, went three for 10, had the go-ahead home run on Tuesday night, and obviously he's got to step up in the absence of Daniel Murphy. Absolutely. Uh, our, our head writer actually wrote an article about when, when everybody was like they're throwing in the towel, he had a really interesting perspective on it. He was like, I kind of feel like when you look at Murphy's numbers, they really weren't that good overall. He's probably the worst fielding second baseman. And if you just watch the the Cubs highlight, like I got over my shoulder because it's the game of the week, uh, ball was hit to him. He had to die for it. It was a few feet to his glove side. He had to die for it. He corralled it. He then threw it high and a run scored. Um, because Rizzo had to come off the bag. And it's like, well, there's Daniel Murphy, and that's the problem. He just doesn't get to anything. His range is maybe five feet. That's it. That's about it. I mean, it's it's really it's really that bad. And if it's hit hard, how many balls do you remember that were hit almost a couple feet to his right or left that he just did not get to? Yeah, I feel like his defense took a big step backwards. I think the first two years in DC he was actually an average second baseman. You you wouldn't uh, yeah. notice it during a game, but this year it was a massive step back. I think I wrote a while ago about how he should have been a first baseman. I think absolutely, absolutely. That's what, that's what I found interesting about him going to the Cubs because they obviously they've got Anthony Rizzo at first base. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right, and I think. I think the one part that stands out to me, and I'll give you some statistics. I mean, Murphy hasn't played that much because he's been out most of the year. Uh, do you follow UZR on Fangraphs, the ultimate zone rating? Mm. Negative 3.6. <laughs> if you take that and you, what, what, what do you call it, extrapolate it for a full season, that's a negative 16 for yeah. a full season. It's not pretty. No, I think um, they said that would be the worst ever in, in baseball history for second baseman. So that just gives you an idea kind of how bad he is defensively. Of course, he makes up for it offensively. But when he left the Nats his last day, his war was a positive 0.1. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, overall, the Nat, I think they do take a step backwards because Murphy's bat was that good. Um, but overall, you don't miss out much. You've got Zim scorching hot. What Defoe lacks in Murphy's bat, Defoe is not exactly a bad bat when he's starting, but he makes up for it with probably above average defense. Yeah, I mean, if you had Daniel Murphy today up at bat when – Eden came up with the man on third. Obviously, he wouldn't have been leading off for the Nats like the Cubs are playing him. But you say to yourself, you know what? Murphy would have uh, filleted that ball into uh, right field, center field, whatever. And you kind of had that confidence on Murphy. But then I kind of looked down and said, wow, he's, he's only batting 294 with runners in scoring position. And that surprised me a little bit. That that was his last stat with the Nats. So when he left, he was batting 300, um, three, 305 um, without runners in scoring position. 
and 294. So he was 11 points lower um, when he had a chance to uh, knock in some runs. And that surprised me a little bit because when, when people think of Murphy, you think clutch, clutch, clutch. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's no doubt about it that the Nats will miss him in those situations like Saturday night. So after he makes that error that was a tailor-made double play and two runs scored, he comes back up and he has that, I think it was 10 or 11 pitches. And then he singled, remember to get the rally started. Hmm. And it's like, okay, well that's, that's, that's Daniel Murphy. I mean, he, he put that together and the Nats uh, come back. I mean, so those are the things that I'd say about Murphy. Definitely, definitely clutch. Hmm. I think uh, on in terms of the hitting side, I was also quite impressed with Stevenson in limited uh, limited showings in the series. Obviously, first major league home run on Tuesday, sack fly on Wednesday. It was quite impressive, obviously. Struck out today, but I think half the team struck out. And I liked how he, he drove six hours through the rain, got there during the rain delay on Tuesday, and then... About an hour later, he was coming in and hitting his first major league home run, which was pretty cool. It it really was. I mean, he's a he's a great kid. I've uh, been able to uh, personally spend time with him. Um, I I saw him numerous times down there in uh, in Potomac and Harrisburg Double A and even even Triple A. So he's he's a wonderful kid. Great family. Uh, you know, little league world series, uh, hero for his, uh, team down there in Louisiana. And I'll give you a tidbit. He and Aaron Nola who struck him out today, they were college teammates at LSU. So yeah, they, they had quite the team. Cause I think they had Alex Bregman as well. Yeah, they did. That's exactly <laughs> right. They had, they had uh, Bregman. So uh, you're absolutely right. That was that was a heck of a team. No wonder why they went to the uh, College World Series. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know he... how you don't win the College <laughs> World Series when you have a team like that. But you know, just the fact that they went. So uh, I, I I said to him, I said, okay, you've been to the Little League World Series. You've been to the College World Series. Now you got to go with the Nats to the. Uh, yeah, regular World Series. So uh, that would be incredible. So yeah, I mean, little little things like that. He really stepped up. Uh, you know, big big for the team. Um, I said, we just need we just need that momentum that we didn't get today. Yeah, I think it's more about uh, potentially piecing it all together. They always seem to have either the hittings on or the pitchings on, but never quite at the same time. That's right. I would agree. Um, and obviously the perfect example today, Max Scherzer was incredible by one pitch. He did have uh, four walks, which was a little bit high. Um, I guess putting him up against Nola, who do you think is going to win the NL Cy Young? I think Jacob deGrom pitched today and pitched pretty well as well. Yeah, deGrom gave up two runs, one earned, and took the loss. Okay, Murphy just grounded out, so he's over for two. There we go. Yeah. We won that trade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i mean they gave up uh but 40 45 days of uh daniel murphy i guess not even that but uh yeah and in incredible um so cy young maybe even mvp i think uh i don't know how much is hitting factors into that into the mvp discussion you know what? I think that's got to be a huge part of it. And Talk Nats uh, wrote about that too last week. A really fascinating piece about Murphy uh, for MVP really needs to be put out there. I'm I'm kind of surprised. Absolutely nobody's talking about it in the national media. Uh, you obviously just brought it up, which is which is great. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm looking for some stats here because his, obviously this was before today's game, his defense, offense, and base running is worth 0.8 war. 
Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think uh the Grom and Nola are above him in pitching war, but then in total war, I think Max Scherzer is leading maybe the MLB. I don't know if Betts might be above him, but he's definitely leading the National League. Well, if you go to um baseball reference versus fan graphs, it all depends. I mean, uh, mm. Scherzer was leading uh fan graphs in in war. Uh the other two I know one of them was ahead of him, definitely on uh, baseball reference. Uh, but his 6.7 war on on fan graphs was ahead of everybody, including uh, Freddie Freeman. So hmm. there's yeah, this, that. Is, uh, this is definitely baseball writer problems when fan graphs and baseball reference don't update till the next morning. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, oh, man, let's revisit this in the morning and see. I mean, I mean. He he had the bunt. He almost uh, he almost had a hit too. He's uh, it's it's incredible how he's taken what he calls his high school swing and uh, just just makes it look easy. Uh, I'm 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 just impressed. I mean, when Justin Verlander won the MVP, he's an American League guy. So mm-hmm. like like you said, Scherzer for MVP. You know, he's hitting. I mean, the guy with let me let me see if I can find the stat. Okay, here it is. He was hitting before today 412 in risky uh, situations. Yeah, he was leading the entire national league um about three weeks ago. I think I think he may have uh gone down a bit since then. Yeah, I'm I'm I mean, obviously we're talking about super small sample sizes. I mean who who cares? Who cares? I mean, the guy the guy's getting up there and he's doing just amazing things. And that one pinch hit he had, and he scored a run, and you know, j- just the way he fired up the team. And the shame of it is, the Nationals been shut out now in four four of his starts. Mm. Yeah, the if it. If you look at the season, and let me see my my calendar here. Here, here we go. June tenth, kind of where the slide started. Um, Scherzer lost that game two nothing to the San Francisco Giants. So there, there you go. Yeah, he's had he's had a few where it's been nothing, nothing, pretty much the whole game, and then it gets late and he gives up a home run. And right and, and and no and no run support and yeah and like I said it, it it's kind of that deja vu yeah we've seen it before and we have and he was not happy after the game I mean I saw I saw the interview and I was like I feel sorry for this guy yeah um I don't, there's there's not a lot else to say he deserves a lot better than he's got this season he could could probably have won twenty games by now on a playoff team. Right, right, exactly. Um, one other point from the week: we got Kelvin Herrera back on Tuesdays, uh, kind of reassumed the ninth inning duties again. Uh, had a one-two-three inning on Tuesday night. I think the save opportunity got taken away from him. Uh, what did you see of Herrera on Tuesday night? Do you think we're going to see the the dominant Herrera we were expecting when we traded for him? Well, he certainly looked better. I was I was pretty impressed. He was locating his pitches, and he seemed to have good movement on it. I was like, "That's the guy that they traded for." Uh, what is he going to look like after a few more starts? And is he going to run into problems again? That that kind of scares me because when the Nationals traded for him, remember there were some rumors that he was having some shoulder discomfort. So that definitely scares me some, um, you know, add to that, Greg Holland looked incredible today. Mm. And three strikeouts. So him too. And uh, did you hear Davey uh, talk about him after the game, Greg Holland? No. Yeah. He said that Lilliquist has been working on his uh, mechanics and uh, they think they found something. So. Do you think they would bring him back if uh, if the price was right next season? I'd love to see him back if we can get get the contract sorted because he's looked really impressive. Yeah, I, I'm 
I mean, the price of these guys, what, what are they going to be? Yeah, a guy like Herrera, I mean, is he a $12 million guy? The, I just I just don't see the Nats, at least with Holland, I, I don't see it unless, unless the price comes way down or he tells uh, Scott Boris he wants to be here. I mean, with Herrera, this is his uh, first opportunity to be a free agent. I mean, he's certainly going to have somebody who will give him a three-year deal, whether or not that's going to be three of 36 million or three of 30 million. It's got to be in that range. I would think. Hmm. Yeah. I think Holland got 14. I think that's going to come down and yes, maybe, <laughs> maybe you never know if uh, he obviously he's been pitching well, he might, might want to come back on another one year deal and see if he can uh, improve on that, knowing that he's had success here. Yeah. He's, he's going to, um, Boris is good at spinning things. will be just like he's going to do with Bryce Harper. He's going to talk about, don't look at the whole picture. Look at this stat and that stat, and it'll be a 150-page uh, book with um, stats. I mean, the stuff that Scott puts together is absolutely incredible. I mean, he'll, uh, he'll have everything to prove his uh, point, and you the the uh, analytics people obviously need to make their points because you know you have to look at the whole picture and you have to look at the whole picture with Bryce. I mean, who is the real Bryce? Who is the real Greg Holland? Who is the real Kelvin Herrera? And that's that's just reality. Hmm. Uh, so now we're going to look ahead to the series with the Mets. Uh, they've just wrapped up a four game series against the Giants. Mets went peak Mets and lost in the 13th inning on Monday when two players ran into each other. They, yes, came, from incredible. <laughs> they came from behind late in the eighth to take the lead on Tuesday. Jeff McNeil continuing to impress uh, with another multi-hit effort in a win on Wednesday. And then they uh, they split the series. Well, I say they peak, peak Mets on Monday. They peak Mets on Thursday. They got another loss for Jacob deGrom somehow. What do you make yeah. of his season? It's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, he's he's incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, he's he's one of the uh, the few Mets I actually like because um, I got to work with him uh, during his rookie year. Um, kind of knew he was going to be rookie of the year. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful young man, and it's it's kind of hard to uh, root against him. But yeah, um, he he pitched he pitched great today. I had I had him up on a uh, another screen, and he ripped the umpire. I, I could not believe he was he was not thrown out of the game. None of those runs are given up if he'd got a strikeout that he uh, thought he deserved, and he went after Randazzo, the uh, the umpire. And I'm like, how did he not get thrown out of the game? It was it was incredible, but he he's amazing. He's eight and eight. Took took another loss, and and you just say to yourself, how how can that happen? I don't. It's the closest I've ever felt to being sorry for a Mets player. It, like no matter how well he's pitching, somehow he's got a five hundred record. I think they've still lost more games that he started than they've won because the bullpen's just coughed up, even when he does have a lead. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even look at what's happened after he's come out of the games because you're right. He could have left with a three nothing, <laughs> you know, advantage, and and then the bullpen gives up four runs, and obviously he gets a no decision. So uh, that'd be an int- interesting one. Do you have a baseball reference up on your screen to pull up, or do you want me to pull it up? I could pull it up. That's. That's interesting. That's... Yeah, it's – their bullpen um, – there's quite a few iffy bullpens in the NL East at the moment. The Phillies' bullpen didn't exactly put its uh, put its best foot forward this this series. No, no I agree. I think I think all the bullpens in the uh, NL East are, are not good. I mean, the Braves got Brock. I'm like – yeah, I saw the guy pitch with the Orioles, and I'm like, I'm not – I'm not – overly impressed and uh, 
you know, he may be, he may be the best uh, they have, but that is, that's going to be a problem. Whoever goes on to win the NL East, it's going to be a big problem. Obviously if it's the Phillies, they, they probably see, what do you think? Nola one Arietta two, maybe Eflin three. Hmm. Yeah. The, the Phillies do at least have a starting rotation. And, uh, in Jacob deGrom starts this season, the Mets are 11 and 15. Yeah. See, you beat me to it. Exactly. Team record in appearance is 11 14. Look how quick you are. <laughs> we, we obviously typed um, at the same pace there. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, the way over to the right, it'll show how he exited some of those games. That would be, uh, that would be interesting to see over there. I mean, I mean, look at, Look at some of those losses. Heck, there, there's one I didn't even realize. April 16th, he lost. Um, he walked away at the Nats, gave up three runs. Um, they lost eight to six. I think that was that was that big come from behind. Um, I think so, yeah. Might have been. Um, yeah. yeah, let's take a look at that one. I forgot all about that. <laughs> Uh, so, which Mets are you looking forward to see this series? Obviously, no uh, Degrom or Noah Syndergaard. Now, I mean Wheeler is going to be pitching, and Vargas is going to be pitching. I mean, um, I mean Wheeler is having a pretty darn good series. You know, the pro- problem for the Nats, they're they're going to have obviously Tanner Roark on on Sunday, but it's like. Uh, Geo's back and and Jeffrey Rodriguez. So it's like I, I don't know how you feel, but I see Geo's name and I'm like um kind of one of those uh feelings when you eat some bad food. <laughs> Just a heavy feeling in the stomach that you need to yeah. sit on the toilet for a while. Well, well, well that's basically <laughs> it. Thank you for uh, saying that, young man. <laughs> but that's that's basically it. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. So, so so here here we go. If I could uh, go, go back to uh, that game on April sixteenth. So, Degrom goes into the eighth inning, right? Um, get, gets pulled with one out in the eighth inning. His team is winning six to one. That was the six to one game. Mm. And that's come back and score. Six, well, actually scored seven unanswered, but six in that eighth inning. Um, the Nats pegged um, two run, two runs stayed on DeGrom's record and for inherited runners. Seth Lugo gave up a run. Jerry Blevins gave up a run. I think that was against Bryce Harper, if I remember. A.J. Ramos gave up two runs. Um, and Jerice Familia, um, who inherited runners, he had no earned runs, but he got the blown save. And then Hansel Robles in the ninth inning gave up another run. So when that game happened, I remember, I mean, the Nats, um, were, went into that game. They were seven and nine. The Mets were 12 and two. And that was the game that everybody said turned the Mets season upside down. Hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was uh, that was quite something. And people thought, oh, the Nets are going to start winning again. And they just didn't until uh, I think it was May when they were the best team in baseball. But yeah, um, I, I remember all the smug Mets fans, albeit the Nets haven't got too much to be smug about at the moment. But at least the Mets aren't smug Mets fans. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, with the twelve and three record, even at that point, they stayed in first place for a while. Hmm. But it was like after that, it was like I mean, their season was just never the same again. I mean, I mean, I said to um, some Mets fans that I know, I'm like, um, are you guys already buying World Series tickets? I mean, they were absolutely just you know counting it. You know, as as they had the season that they were gonna, you know, run away with it, and then it was um, so they lost. They lost that um, April sixteenth game again with Degrom. Um, they lost 
the next day to the Nats, they did win the last game of the series. So um, when the Nats left town, they were, um, let's see, what was their, where's their record? This is, what was their record? I can't. Oh, 12, 12 and, and 13 and four, 13 and four. So they were up at that point when the Nats left town, they were three games up um, at that point in the uh, NL East race. Um, obviously the Nats um, were, were a few games uh, back there. And, um, and then if you remember here, here we're talking about that game on June 10th with Max Scherzer when he lost two nothing, the Nats were in first place on that day by a half game actually. So the Nats had that amazing May run where they just uh, went crazy, you know, Mark Reynolds and, and all that. That was, uh, that was fun. Hmm. Yeah. I think the, the Mets that I'm, Quite interested to see. They've got a, a new middle infield combination. So they've got Ahmed Rosario, Jeff McNeil, both hitting uh, three thir- over 330 lately. Uh, Ahmed Rosario in the leadoff spot. And I've always been really impressed whenever I've seen him. But Mets fans seem to be a little bit frustrated. I think he's hit ninth quite a lot in the new uh, hipster model of the batting order where the pitcher bats eighth. But uh, what do you make of those two, the two middle infielders? I wish I had prepared my my notes on that because I was watching MLB Network and Billy Ripken was actually talking about him and he compared them very favorably. I'm trying to remember. I think uh, quite a few people who have watched the Mets compare McNeil to Daniel Murphy in a way. That's it. Thank you very much. That's exactly <laughs> who we – thank you. That's who we compared him to. I was like, who, you know, and, and, and see again, you're a young man. I'm an old man. And, uh, I forget things that that's exactly see, see, you must've watched it. Oh no. I've, I've seen, <laughs> I'm teasing you. On um, but, but yeah, but, but, but maybe if the Nats sign him in about five years, he can hit 400. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's exactly who, um, who we made the comparison to. You're absolutely right. So, uh, yeah, I mean McNeil's hitting, you know, just out of body experience. You know, three thirties and you know, near four hundred OBP. So uh, obviously he'll be the hot guy coming into uh, the series. But he also has some speed. I mean, he had a, a triple yesterday, and you know, two for four against the Giants. And uh, yeah. Um- for the for the Nats, I'm quite interested to see that, like you said, they've got Vargas, they've got Stephen Matz going. Do you think they'll give one yeah. Soto a day off? He's hitting 208 in August so far. So with well, the, the OBP still there at 380, but he looks like someone who could do with a day off. He he sure can. And Davey was asked that question pregame, I think it was yesterday, and he said he does not plan on giving them a day off until September call-ups. And you kind of scratch your head and you go, well, what about Michael Taylor? I mean, he's a pretty uh, decent outfielder. You could you could put Adam Eden over in left field, can't you? So I, I don't get it. You bring up something that's a sore subject with a lot of Nats fans, and a lot of people will say, oh, come on. The kid's 19 years old. He could play every day without a rest and you don't have to worry about it. And I think kind of new world baseball being an old timer. uh, Yeah. I think, I think guys do need a rest no matter how old they are, um, especially when they're playing outfield. It's not, it's not like he's uh, playing first base and uh, doesn't have to do any running. Yeah. I think it's more, it's not so much the stats. It's more watching him and, Kind of the swings getting a little bit tired. The plate discipline's still there. That's never going to go away, as evidenced by that on base percentage. But he's been striking out, looking a lot lately. He's swinging and missing a lot more. I feel like, um, and yeah, they, they've even got Andrew Stevenson, who's played left field a lot. Um, oh, yeah. Which I think he's, he's amazing as a fielder. It, I mean, the Nationals are blessed with incredible uh, center field depth. When you think of 
Robles when you think of Stevenson and Michael Taylor uh, as, as, as three guys with speed and like, like you said, Stevenson can play, you know, definitely left field and, and center field. His arm really isn't there for, uh, for right field, but he's, he could, he could definitely uh, play left field and, and spell uh, Soto a day. But like I said, um, manager doesn't think so. And of course, when you look at Soto's day today, if the wind wasn't blowing in from uh, left field, Soto probably would have had two bombs today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is interesting. Um, and I don't know. I think it doesn't he hit, hit better against lefties as well. It's not like you can just pick out a tough lefty and put Michael Taylor in. Right, right. Well, it's interesting against uh, Nola, Michael Taylor had a home run. And, of course, it, we go back to small sample sizes batting 286. So I think he was something like four for 14 lifetime. But it's like, well, Adam Eden was 0 for 10, one zero for 13, before he got a hit, he ended up uh, one for one for fourteen. So Davy's a big believer, as we say in talk nats, and uh, your time will come. Um, I I know there's a statistical uh, word for it, but I think he'll kind of throw somebody in there, and if you throw that person in there enough, oh that. See, I'm looking, look at my notes here. Law of averages. He's a law of <laughs> averages manager. And I never expected that out of him. And, and, and Davey and I have talked, you know, we, uh, we had a nice chat one night outside of the ballpark and uh, super, super nice guy, super intelligent, really knows his stuff. And I wasn't interviewing him or anything. We just talked about baseball and he's like, Oh, you know a thing or two, and it was it was one of those days where I could just uh, without anything in front of me just go through the numbers. I mean, I'm a CPA, so I'm 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 pretty good with uh, numbers and the sabermetrics and all that. So I was able to uh, roll off roll off some numbers, and uh, I think I think he was. Um, impressed or or maybe he was just giving me the time of day that was that was interesting and he was kind of hired as a statistical type of manager yeah i think that's the that's the really interesting thing where we we heard all about him coming in like you say statistics he was going to kind of what the phillies have had with gabe kapler kind of go by uh wherever it has on his tablet rather than going by the the managerial textbook per se. Yeah. And, and that's something that I would say is a good thing because that was to contrast with uh, Dusty Baker, who was not known as a statistical manager. And you, you just saw some games where you scratched your head. Well, uh, some of the fans that are, kind of what Jason Worth calls these super nerds. Um, there's a lot of people who are into the numbers. And I thought it was interesting as I looked over, uh, you know, responding um, off of my Twitter and I saw, saw somebody um, who I know hit up talk Nats and I'm watching their discussion back and forth. And she, she was like, why didn't Michael Taylor start today? So she was she was asking um, um, our guy Steve about that, and he responded back. He goes, "Hey, I I hit it pregame. He thought for sure <laughs> that reverse splits that that Taylor was going to start, but instead Eden started. And again, they're small sample sizes. So was Davy rewarded because he went one for four or?" Was he not rewarded because Adam Eden had a man on third and one out and Eden couldn't score the run? What, what, what do you think? Uh, 
I think for me, in terms of thinking about it pre-game, I think when it's that smaller sample size, I'd rather go with the um, kind of the the field choice or the the Dusty Baker esque choice. So kind of putting your gut into it because your gut does say right against someone like Aaron Nola. I think Adam Eaton's going to do a bit. If the sample size was larger, if it was more than ten at bat, so if it was like twenty to thirty, and Michael Taylor was still having success, then maybe you start to think. Right, maybe he, he does see Nola quite well. The other factor is, are Taylor and Nola the same players as they were when they previously faced each other? Nola's taken that's, a few steps forward, and Taylor has taken steps back from last season. That's a great. That's a great point. That is that that point there is probably the counterpoint. If you dig and say, okay, well, he faced Nola two years ago and like you said, they weren't the same players. And, and I actually, I have, I have no idea. And, and you're exactly right. So there's, there's exactly the kind of devil's advocate to it. And, and, and you're exactly right. And that's where uh, Joe Madden is just incredible on. I, I remember Joe talking about, he goes, he goes, yeah, I look at the stats. He goes, but I look at trends. He goes, I want to know the current trends. And Michael Taylor hasn't been hitting too well lately. And that could be the other thing. Say, well, you know what? Nothing really matters because my only choice is between Stevenson, Taylor, and, and Eden, and I'm not going to – subject uh stevenson to that um but i'm gonna choose eden over taylor just based on current trends and not even look at okay you hit a home run off of them because maybe that was at some point where it wasn't statistical but then you look at eden got his hit off of them in the eighth inning when condinola was uh really kind of overcooked at that point so Statistically, if you go back and say, eh, you know, it was a double, but he got the guy when he didn't have much. What he couldn't do was in his uh, first three at-bats, he couldn't – or or two two at-bats, excuse me, first two at-bats, he couldn't, couldn't do anything, and he had the chance to uh, score the runner uh, from third with just an out. And those are the type of things that just drive the fans crazy. Who'd be a manager, right? Eh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So now we're going to look ahead to each pitching matchup individually. So first off on Friday at 7.10 p.m. Eastern, Gio Gonzalez faces off against Jason Vargas. Gio Gonzalez, 7-10 and 10 with a 4-5-1 ERA. Jason Vargas, 3-8 and eight with a 7-6-7 ERA. I noticed that Gio Gonzalez has a 7-0-7 ERA his last 13 starts, like you were saying. Um, we won't go back into my... Uh, Detailed analogy, but uh, this one could be probably both teams hitting double figures, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wonder how long Gio's going to last. Maybe, maybe he finds himself. It isn't like you're uh, pitching against Murderer's Row, you know, when you're when you're playing, um, you know, the Mets these days. I mean, you know, Rosario, Jackson, Flores, uh, you know. Todd Frazier, Batista is hitting 205, Mesoraco hitting 213. I mean, even Conforto, I mean, is batting 235. Hmm. Um, yeah, they, they, they have a leadoff man, Rosario's hitting 242. So, Gio doesn't have to worry about facing Cespedes and, and, um, he, he would just change everything right there if he if he was in there, and you know he doesn't have to uh, face his Drupal Cabrera and the guys who um, gave him a hard time before. So maybe maybe this is going to be a good matchup for Geo. It's really hard to say, but I just hope if it's not his night that we're not going through trying to get him through five innings. I I just I just hope um, Davy just puts it away early, but I'm trying to stay optimistic and <laughs> this is, this is a game where, where he should uh, shine. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
Well, Tommy hmm. Malone, what did he go? Seven shout out in, in uh, seven innings of one run ball and struck out nine. And uh, yeah. with the greatest respect to Tommy Malone, he's not been fantastic this year. And if he can do that against the Mets, then Gio at least has a chance to. Yeah, exactly. And um, you, you, your boy Jeff McNeil is a uh, lefty, so um, hopefully that should do uh, you know well for uh, for Geo. Except for when you look at McNeil, what what's amazing is he's uh, he's actually hits a little bit better for average, almost almost exactly. He's three thirty three against lefties. He's um, 329 against righties um but he has um his power really comes against some um, right-handed pitching so uh you know again small small sample sizes i mean i guess the one thing with mcneil is uh will the nats have a good uh, scouting report when they uh when they face him he he is he is all of 15 at bats um against left-handed pitching so um, I guess I guess we'll see. I mean, talking about this small sample sizes, I mean he's five for fifteen. But what's amazing is he's worked six walks against um lefty pitchers, and you say to yourself, uh-oh, Geo. So hopefully he's studied his uh his tape and and done his homework. But Looking at it, I mean, I mean, this is this is a game that Geo should just absolutely um, throw throw a shutout, you know, for for six innings. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, this is a little bit more than a Triple A team, hmm. and I don't mean to be cruel, but no, be be cruel. It's a Nats podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then again, as 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 people remind me, well, the Marlins are a Triple A team too. I mean, could you believe the losses on Saturday and Sunday against players that nobody's ever heard of? Yeah, it was like uh, you know, it was it was JT Real Muto, uh, Sterling Castro, Brian Anderson, and five other guys who um, are Triple A guys, and and. And the Nats and and Geo uh, made them look like uh, superstars. It was like, you know, way, way to go. So, you know, from that perspective, it's like, okay, um, Geo had a shot against a Triple A team, and uh, you know, it didn't didn't go well. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure um, what we're going to see Friday night. But I agree with you. I think there'll be uh, at least the Nats should be scoring a lot of runs, but. Yeah, Vargas, um, I, a week or so ago, I know he had one good start. I think, so. yeah, his last two starts, he's only allowed two runs. But uh, I actually saw his first start for the Mets out in San Diego, and he was god-awful, and he's been pretty awful all season. So exactly. uh, I think with some of the Nets right-handers heating up, so you got Zimman in there, Turner uh, hits lefties pretty well, I think uh, – I think the Nats are going to come out on top. Maybe you get a solid out from Geo, nothing spectacular, maybe five, six innings of three rumble, and that should be enough with Vargas going for the Mets. Wow, look at you. You're pretty optimistic. <laughs> yeah, uh, every now and again. Uh, so uh, on Saturday at 4.05 p.m. Eastern, Jeffrey Rodriguez will face off against Zach Wheeler. Jeffrey Rodriguez one and one with a 5.46 ERA. Zach Wheeler... Eight and six with a three six three RA. I've been quite impressed with Jeffrey Rodriguez since he's been recalled, and I think they've kind of given him the the Helixon treatment. They've pitched him for five innings both times, given up one and two runs respectively. Um, you think that's going to be the plan again? I would I would say uh, that's exactly what they're going to do. I kind of wish they treated uh, everybody but Scherzer that way, and this team would <laughs> look a lot better. Um, that's kind of where baseball goes. I mean, every night you turn it on, you see you see a pitcher getting pulled in the fourth inning. I mean, I was I was watching uh, the A's um, um, yesterday with um, Edwin Jackson, and yeah, you know, he was pulled uh, pulled at one out into the fifth inning. So he finished with you know four and a third, and it's like wow, 
Um, I was, I was really surprised um, what his, what his average innings are. And that seems to be the way um, a lot of these uh, playoff teams have been going. They'll, uh, they'll pull these guys third time through the order uh, quickly. And Davey, Obviously, been doing that with Hellickson. He's been doing that with uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez. But the last time, he let him go out for the next inning, and he gave up. Uh, you remember uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the two earn, unearned runs, which was um, at the hands of uh, Murphy booting that ball. So, uh, but you know, he did. He did put on the first two, the first two batters that inning, and I would have liked to seen. I, maybe uh, let him go a little bit in first sign of trouble. But the first sign of trouble um, is Zach Wheeler has been pitching really good. It's hard to believe with the Mets' top three pitchers of DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Wheeler that they're not just rolling. I mean, those yeah. are three really good pitchers. So, I mean, they, they have a uh, healthy pitching staff, but yet, they can't can't get it going, and uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see what the Nats can do to uh, to Wheeler. I mean, he's he's faced a lot of um, you know weak lineups too. So uh, this yeah, is uh, yeah, Wheeler's, uh, he's got a one three eight ERA in his last six starts, striking out more than a batter an inning. Uh, so it's de- it's probably going to be the Nats' biggest test. They have quite a bit of success against Stephen Matz, who we'll see on Sunday. Um, but yeah, I. I think I hope they do give him that Jeffrey Rodriguez the Helixon treatment. It's worked quite well and take a no hitter into the sixth inning in his first start, maybe. Um, and then he still looked pretty good against the Marlins, obviously, until those two hits in the the sixth inning. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, which way are you going to predict this one? It's probably the toughest to call, I think. Um. I'm I'm not too optimistic actually on Friday or Saturday. I'm looking forward to a Sunday Roark against Mats. Yeah, I think uh, I think for this one I'm probably gonna predict the Mets. I think it'll be quite surprisingly low scoring, I guess. Um maybe the Mets come out on top three to two, but the Mets Mets bullpen has been uh twenty seventeen Nats bullpen esque. So who knows, maybe if the Nats can keep it close going into the late innings, they might be able to sneak one. Well, there you go. Do what they did on April 16th, right? Exactly <laughs> <laughs> that. Uh, so then on Sunday, as uh, Andrew alluded to, Tanner Ark against Stephen Matz at 110 Eastern. Tanner Ark, 8-12 with a 4.05 ERA. Stephen Matz, 5-10 with a 4.55 ERA. Tanner Ark, last six starts, 1.63 ERA. And it's been magnificent to see his turnaround. Uh, ever since Kinsler gave him that... Uh, I think they went over film together to go over the two-seamer and then unceremoniously booted Kintzler out the door, but that's a completely different story. Um, but yeah, I've been really impressed with Roark, and he's been kind of the number three start that the team's needed with Geo faltering. Yeah, yeah, and we got a little bit of um, inside scoop. One good thing about TalkNats is uh, we, we get a lot of uh, sourced info. So not only did Kintzler supposedly help him with that uh, two-seamer. I think that was confirmed, but he also um, had him work um, more towards uh, the middle of the pitching rubber. And especially that's helped too. So I always say with Tanner Roark, if the swing back fastball two-seamer is working, you know he's going to be on. Um, He wasn't his his sharpest the last uh, two times that still um, was able to get through um, both of those starts. You know, it was one before that where Davey let him go 117 pitches and we were all kind of scratching our heads. Cause I don't know if you remember the last time he went 117 pitches was uh, back in May. And then he, that's when he kind of fell apart for a while. Was, yeah, I think um, uh, I think I remember I was uh, I was in Chicago and that was the one game I didn't go to when the Nats won. So you can blame me for the other two losses. But yeah, I think uh, 
then Davy asked Tanner if he wanted to stretch him out a bit because the, right. the lead was well in hand at that point. Um, yes. And maybe uh, maybe the rain shortened three in start that he had on Wednesday comes at a good time after 117 pitches. You know what? That's a that's a great point. He should be uh, he he should be strong. So I mean, I I didn't even factor that in. You're right. I I would say um, I think I think Tanner's gonna have his arm feeling uh, really strong. So yeah, um, the the Nats when you look look at matchups and stuff and think, oh, okay, yep got this this is how it's gonna go you know friday night saturday night yeah there's a reason they play the games i mean wheeler wheeler's been throwing a lot of pitches and kind of carrying the load so you never know i mean this could be the time he falls apart um Max has just been awful i mean wow yeah. I, I don't know what's happened to him yeah four five five era but then uh he's had four starts against the Nats this year surprisingly yeah Seven three one ERA in a whip of almost two. They always seem to to get to him, and I don't think he made it out the first inning last time we saw him. Oh my god! I mean, it's been it's been an unbelievable how uh, the Nats have just handled him, and it's it's going to be interesting. Who who, who do you think uh, Davy goes with on Sunday against uh, Mats? Does he uh, go with his normal lefties in there? Or do you think he goes more right handed? I think I think he'll go with Taylor over Eaton. Um, albeit we all we all want to see one side get a day off, and that might be a good time to get a day off. Um, I think he's going to hold true to his word and probably take Eaton out. He needs to get Taylor playing time at some point. Um, yeah, and Ta- yeah. Taylor still kills lefties. I think he's hitting about two eighty off the top of my head. Um, so yeah, I think he'll he'll go with Taylor. Um, maybe you get Mark Reynolds in there as well, who. Kills lefties just to give Zim a day off. Uh, you don't really give Zim days off against right-handers now that Matt Adams has gone to the Cardinals. So maybe I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting well, to see how. This could be that... Mark Reynolds at second base. Oh God, <laughs> it, it's half nine. You're you're trying to send me to bed with nightmares at that. Hold on, you do know he's been taking grounders at second base, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's the emergency because there's no one else after default. I'd rather see Reynolds at third and uh, Rendon at second. But you know what that that would be that would be very Joe Madden esque to do that. That would be really really interesting. Uh, it's a, it's actually a good idea, and that's what a lot of people were again on the Talk Nat site just absolutely ticked at Davey because Reynolds owned uh, Wei Yin Chen. And 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 Rendon just struggled against Wei Yin Chen, and Rendon on Saturday went 0 for five, and Reynolds sat on the bench, and people were like, "This is where you want to put in Reynolds, let him kill it." I mean, um, so no, Reynolds at third isn't still overly convincing, but more convincing than he would be. Yeah, he said. Yeah, I mean, he he had that one game where he botched two in a row, but other than that, it's been pretty solid there. I mean, he's had those you know two flubs down there. Um, he he really looked good today on defense. Good night. I mean, he made everything look look easy and oh yeah, you know, he's, he's way above average at first base. Yeah, I was I was uh, I was pretty impressed. Um, you know, again, defense is so overrated by some um, I love going through uh, zone rating and kind of looking and measuring in my mind how many uh, how much range some of these guys have and uh, that's been one thing that has blown me away by Trey Turner this year I mean he's the third rated um, defensive shortstop and it's like I just just shocking um, the the balls that he gets to and Rendon is amazing. So I think, I think the Nats have, um, you know, Colorado will argue with it with story and Arenado, but mm. I mean, those are your two best left side uh, defenses and having Defoe is, is just a huge upgrade over Murphy and um, Stims looked a lot better since he's come back defensively, his range before, 
was not good. His range since he's come back, he's making plays again. Hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, all those defensive metrics for Turner don't even factor in the jump throws. If we bring that in, he's probably top. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so I think that pretty much wraps us up for this podcast. I want to say thanks to Andrew for joining me and where can our listeners find you and your work? Thank you very much uh, for having me. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, www.talknats.com. Remember to check out some of our content on site this week. Tom wrote about how despite some hot Twitter takes, especially from a certain former Nats beat writer, the Nats window definitely won't be closing. And also, I took a look at five other players the Nationals could look to trade this month via waivers. Remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spreakaway and get episodes downloaded automatically for you. The podcast will be back over the weekend as the Nats face off against the Phillies, who, quite frankly, I'm getting a little bit sick of. Uh, hopefully it goes more or less as well as this series went, maybe with a sweep this time. So we'll see you then.